I'm Dr. Beth Mollison. And I'm Dr. Alyssa Watson. Thank you for joining us in the veterinary break room today, where we have short conversations, um, where we just chat informally about relevant topics in veterinary medicine. And today is kind of a, what I like to call keep you in the know topic, Alyssa. So what we're going to talk about today is some new vet schools that are coming. And I was kind of inspired to talk about this because I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I always feel like people in other like non-vet professions will say things like, oh, what do you think about the new vet school open? Things where I have no idea and I'm like, oh, I wish I did know about these things or feel like I should stay current. And this is one of those topics. I just like to stay in the know on what's happening out there with veterinary education because, you know, we're we're always out there. Um, just it's, it's a small profession. I feel like you got to keep up with the times. So yep. that's what we're going to well, talk about today. Um, go ahead, Alyssa. I was going to say, I feel like not only is it a small profession, but this particular topic, I feel like there has been this like blitz of veterinary schools opening up, you know, in the last 10 years. And so I agree with you. People are like, well, what do you think about this new vet school? And and I'm going, another one? Another one? (laughs) So, sorry. Go right ahead. So we're going to keep you in the know. No, no. I'm glad you agree with me. And Alyssa, I'm going to give you a quick quiz. I'm, I'm sure you're thrilled Ooh. about that. But as I was kind of looking through what our current stats on vet schools in the country were, there were a few things that took me by surprise, probably because I honestly had never given my attention to learning about the specifics of the vet schools in this country necessarily. But did you, or I want you to guess how many states do you think or do you know have more than one vet school and what states can you name? No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. All right. Um, okay. So states that have more than one school. Okay. Um, Arizona. I know Arizona has two schools. Yes. But I don't. Very good. Think, I, but I don't them? think they have. That's they have fine. no. No. <laughs> but I don't think they have teaching hospitals. I think there's two schools, but I don't think they have teaching hospitals. And. Who else has? I two think schools? you're probably right. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, ooh, Alabama, because they have Auburn, yes, and they have Tuskegee, mm-hmm. so that's so Very Alabama. Good. I, I got nothing. <laughs> There are. There's more. Okay, are there that's more? perfectly fine. I honestly think I would have said zero because my brain just doesn't work like that, and I've never <laughs> thought about it. But there are six. So, Alabama, Arizona, six? California has University of California, and six states. Yeah, and Western University, oh, New York, and has Western more- in California. Yeah, yeah. Um, New York, Tennessee, and Texas, and so. Yeah, we'll get into into this, but I feel like sometimes some of the lesser known vet schools, at least from my, uh, you know, what I consider well-known vet schools is because they don't always have a teaching hospital associated with them. And therefore, I feel like you don't hear as much about them. Um, but yeah, there are currently, I think, 32 or 33 accredited schools right now. And Alyssa, tell us how many you said there were when you graduated, just to give us an idea of So when I graduated, there... 
Yep. When I graduated, there were 26 accredited schools when I graduated in 2003. And, and yeah, I think 32, but you might be right. Maybe there's 33 now. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's something that, so, you know, when you said lesser known schools, to me, it's, it's because they didn't exist when I graduated and everything like stopped for me in the mid nineties. Sure. Like I still live there. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, so, same. I understand but no, that. No, I graduated in 2003, um, and I did go back and look at some of the history because, you know, when talking about new schools, I kind of wanted to look into the history. And I did know this because Iowa State is very, very proud of it. But Iowa State, which is where I went to school, um, is actually kind of the – it was the vet school at Iowa State, their veterinary – medicine program was officially founded in 1879. And while they weren't like the first veterinary school, because there were other schools, you know, that that were like private colleges in the late 1800s and early 1900s, um, a lot of those programs Mm -hmm. have not continued. They all, you know, shut down. There were something like over 40 private veterinary schools that that operated, you know, around the turn of the century there. Yeah, it was really interesting um, that are that no longer have programs. But Iowa State has um, they had the first state veterinary college. You know, Iowa State is a land grant university. Um, and so the first state veterinary college and it remains the longest continuing operating, you know, um, college of veterinary medicine in the country. So go Cyclones, you know, we're really proud of that. That that's, yeah, that's interesting. I just, as you were talking, I had, I went to Ohio state, so, you know, Ohio has been around for some time. I had to look, look and see ours. Ohio state was officially renamed the college of veterinary medicine, the like agriculture, um, portion in 1897. So we weren't, too far behind you. But yeah, anyway, this is all, all fascinating um, stuff. I feel like for some reason, I'm always curious about this. And of course, as we talk about these vet schools that are cropping up in the last 20 years and in the upcoming five years, like I'll, I'll talk about here, you know, a lot of that has to do with the fact that there is a projected veterinary or current and projected veterinary shortage. And we don't need to get into that too much. And I know there are different ways of looking at at that and what a vet shortage means. And so sometimes that can become, you know, different opinions on the topic and exactly what that means. But just to state a few statistics that I thought were interesting um, was one was, it says with pet ownership steadily on the rise, a 33% increase in pet healthcare service spending is expected over the next 10 years. So of course I'm, I'm getting to the point that um, that is one of the motivators behind increasing these vet schools is this vet shortage. Um, nearly 41,000 additional vets will be needed to meet the needs of just companion animals by 2030. Um, even with new veterinary graduates that are expected over the next 10 years, there's still going to be a shortage of nearly 15,000 vets that will likely exist by 2030. And it would take more than 30 years of graduates to meet the 10-year industry need for credentialed veterinary technicians. So it's not just a vet issue, of course, it's the support staff as well. So of course, that is a lot of what is inspiring these vet schools to crop up. Um, and there are currently five states without schools. So the um, again, there are 28 states that have those 33 vet schools are currently in 28 states. So five of those states that don't have vet schools 
now have schools in the works. And so some of that is actually, sometimes it's a university inspired initiative. In some cases, it has been more of a state inspired initiative where the crisis is already there. Um, and that is what is, is driving the need or the desire to open a vet school. So currently there's Rowan University in New Jersey that is expected to open in 2025. Um, there is Clemson University. Is that in South Carolina? I'm going to be embarrassed if I say the wrong Carolina. Am I right, Alyssa? I don't know where Clemson is. <laughs> oh, God. Let the hate mail roll in. Um, no, I think, yeah, I, I think it's in South Carolina. Clemson we're going <laughs> to, that's all right. We're, we're, Are we uh, I, right I mean, now. I, I'll Google right now. Um, Clemson I'll Tigers. let you Google right now. Yeah, this is Clemson <laughs> Tigers. Um, they're aiming for 2026. Um, Arkansas actually has two in the works. So one at Arkansas State and one at a private college, Line College, one in Utah and one in West Virginia. So um, an interesting thing to note, which again, Alyssa, when we were talking, you seem to be more in the know of this than I did. But there is a distinction, again, between colleges um, that uh, have a veterinary teaching hospital associated with them, and then those that have a distributive model of education. And there's kind of a mix of these five schools that are planning to, or five states that are planning to open vet schools. Um, there is a mix, a few of these, like Rowan University, I know stated that they will have a teaching hospital. Uh, but Alyssa, do you mind for our audience to get into that a little bit and kind of the difference there? Yeah, sure. So this is something that, you know, uh, when some of these newer schools were were opening uh, was kind of a big deal at the time that that these schools were moving more towards this distributive model of um, education where they don't have a, a teaching hospital affiliated with the college and instead for your senior year clinical rotations, you are sent out into the community um, in order to do kind of almost like externships, you know, I mean, I guess that's what you would call them, uh, you know, anywhere from a couple weeks, you know, to, mm -hmm. to a month or six weeks, you know, in practices out in the community. And, and how, you know, I think one of the things that's really interesting to me is because these these are a little bit newer, I would be very interested to see data on how those graduates do out in practice. And this is something that I've looked for before and haven't been able to find compared to a more traditional model, if that's what you want to call it, you know, where, where you have a teaching hospital, you go through a rotation, you know, you've got your, your small animal ICU rotation, you've got your, you know, equine ambulatory rotation, uh, trying to think of all the rotations I, I went through when I was in school. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, I think people are very, I personally have seen people feel very strongly about the value of their education, you know, um, of whichever one they experienced. So I have seen, you know, veterinarians mm -hmm. on, on groups, you know, Facebook groups, things like that, that are very passionate about the distributive model and, you know, that they, they loved it. And they say that they, you know, that their learning was, um, that it was very enriching to be out in the community and they felt like they got a, the same education as somebody who went through a more 
traditional uh, uh, teaching approach. So have you had seen data about it or had any conversations about that? No, I haven't. I've I've kind of seen similar things to you where just anecdotally you find that people tend to be passionate about maybe what they've experienced, which I guess is a good thing. It means you found value in and what you know, what choice you had made. I have seen, you know, pros and cons, of course, listed on both sides. Um, but of course, I think there are people that do have concerns that, you know, is this a validated enough method of veterinary education, that distributive model that's relatively new? Are there repercussions that haven't been identified of not having that teaching hospital experience or whatever the case may be? I think on the flip side, there are some people that argue that maybe costs of education, veterinary education could be kept down. As we all know, that's currently a huge barrier and issue in the industry. You know, could costs be kept down if if there was a distributive model and not necessarily yes, but potentially. Um, and then I know in academia right now, and especially hospitals everywhere as well, but particularly academia, you know, there's difficulty in hiring. So when I think of these new veterinary hospitals that are opening or these new teaching hospitals that are opening, it's also concerning to think, you know, they have to go on a dean search. They have to um, find specialists to work in all of those um, specialty areas of the clinic. So, uh, you know, I think there's just a lot of challenges no matter how you slice it. So it will be interesting to see, you know, statistically whether opening these new vet schools, how big of an impact that really makes on kind of the veterinary shortage that we're facing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about. And like I said, I had never as a student given this much thought and then after school, yeah, kind of stopped paying attention at at some point. Well, I was really encouraged that, you know, at least a few of these, um, projected schools are planning on building a teaching hospital. Um, because, you know, and again, it might be personal bias because that's the way I was taught and that was my experience. But I think that there's a lot of value in having a teaching hospital. Uh, On the flip side of that, you bring up a very good point about cost of education. It's something that really worries me about the profession moving forward, that we need to get cost of education under control in order to stabilize this profession, you know, in the future. And so, so if this is one way to do it, also, I think at, I think there can be advantages to getting out of the university and that kind of ivory tower teaching hospital mentality mm-hmm. and out into the community and seeing how things really happen every day because they can be vastly different. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe a future episode, Alyssa, we can um, interview someone who has experienced the distributive model because I feel like I have a lot of questions and yeah, I would love to be able to dive in deeper. And it is, it's hard to compare the two because everybody of course only experienced one or the other, but right. Anyway, all very interesting. Like I said, we just wanted to keep our audience in the know so you can seem educated at your next veterinary cocktail party with all these, these fun um, statistics. And Alyssa, I think that brings us to our win of the week segment. Do you have any big or little wins this week? Well, given the fact that we were talking about vet schools, um, I my win of the week is actually, so uh, recently it was my 20-year anniversary for graduation. So um, 
and we have been planning a reunion. I have not been back to uh, Ames in a number of years. Uh, and so I'm excited, been uh, doing some Google Meets with classmates and getting ready to, um, you know, go back. And I'll keep you guys updated because we're having this reunion later this year. Are you helping organize? I am not uh, because I am so far away. And so I didn't feel Fair. like I could contribute very much. <laughs> That's perfectly understandable. That sounds amazing. I hope my class does that at our 20 or two. Our 10 year was during COVID. So yeah, I have not oh. um, seen too many classmates. I have a friend that works at Ohio State, which helps because I'm up there a fair amount. But um, anyway, that will be very fun, Alyssa. I like that one. Very um, appropriate for our topic today. Um, my win is going to be, I, I'm going to circle back to what, if anybody listens to this on a regular basis, they've heard me talk about or may know I got a new dog a few month, months ago. So I'm going to tie my win back to him. I'm trying to be very optimistic about him. I feel like I'm one of those people and I knew this going in that like regrets getting a new dog for several months. <laughs> and I have been that way with every dog I've ever gotten. Um, so that's the period I, I've been living through. Um, but I, I want to be optimistic and say that we are actually doing pretty well. And what my actual win was going to be is that I met with a veterinary behaviorist this week who was so, so kind and helpful and let me ask all of my questions. Our, our biggest issues are surrounding the integration of Paul, my dachshund, um, with Daniel, the poodle, and integrating the two of them. And um, I, I won't get into the, the details of their complex, uh, <laughs> they're both complex little creatures, their complex relationship. But anyway, the, the veterinary behaviors was wonderful and it just made me um, think about you know, how awesome it is that they exist and what a wonderful resource they are. And speaking of vet shortages, of course, she was kind enough to talk to me, but you know, there's such a long wait to see these veterinary behaviorists. So anyway, I think I inadvertently turned my win into a negative there, but um, anyway, it's a great resource to have for us and our clients out there. So that's my big win is getting some support on this inter-household dog relationship issue that we have going on over here. Uh, I'm glad that you were able to find, you know, a colleague out there to help you. So, so. well, thanks yes. everybody for listening. Hope you guys are excited about the upcoming, you know, veterinary schools that'll be opening up and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Veterinary Break Room. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, including a video version on YouTube. While you're there, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. You can also listen to or watch our podcast episodes on our website at cliniciansbrief.com slash podcasts, or drop us a line at podcasts at briefmedia.com. Veterinary Break Room is a Vet Medics production produced by Alexis Ussery and co-hosted by Dr. Alyssa Watson and Dr. Beth Mollison. 